What's up, everybody? This is James Robertson with Workspace Real Estate. And for today, we're going to talk about how long of a lease should you do? So that's a very common question. Matter of fact, most people don't ask the question. Most people will make up their mind or they talk to an attorney or a consultant and they'll tell them, hey, if you're just starting a business, just do a year lease. If you're starting a business, how long of a lease term should you do? Here's my advice. In all cases, you should always do the shortest term in order to get the maximum value from a deal. Now, for those that just want to do a year lease, what that shows the landlord is that I am not confident at all in my business. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. That may affect what price you're going to pay, whether or not they even want to do the deal. Personally, I don't represent people that just want to do a year lease. Um, They're not confident in their business. That doesn't bode well for my reputation in the marketplace because I like to place people that know they can run a good business. Sometimes it may not work out that way, but uh, for my reputation in the market, which affects my ability to get deals for my clients, I want to make sure that I'm working with people that are confident in what they do, just like they want to work with brokers or people in the market that are confident in in our own skill set. So I don't work with people that insist on just doing a year. They can, they're going to probably self-execute. But my advice is in order, do the shortest term you can to get maximum value from a deal. If your lease is too short, like if you're doing a three-year deal, you know, then you're going to miss out on build-out opportunities. You're not going to get as much build-out for the space. You're not going to get as much free rent. You're not going to get the same ability to change the lease, which is huge. You're not going to get the lower rental rates that we can get on the longer term. You may miss out on opportunities to sublease. You'll miss out on opportunities to possibly cap expenses. I can go on there. You'll miss out on opportunities for capital improvements and what type of sharing you're going to be obligated to do. Uh, There is a lot of stuff that you just can't do on a three year simply because the landlord does not value a three-year deal the same way they value a five or seven or 10-year deal. Here's the easy reason why. When the landlord does a deal, they're always thinking about your tenancy or your ability to lease space in terms of how that's gonna reflect on the value of their property. A five-year deal in a building, it's worth a lot more to a landlord than a three-year or a two or one-year. A five-year deal, a five-year I'm, I'm, I'm tongue-tied. A five-year deal is pretty much the standard. It's the average term that most people do. And it's something the banks recognize. And when investors see a five-year deal in a portfolio or in a building, they look at that as a good term and it increases the value of the property. As a reward for doing a good term, the landlords are incentivized to give you free rent and lower rates and all of the good stuff that comes along with you increasing the value of the property. That's why they're pushing five. It's not that they just want to lock you in for a longer time. It's you're actually giving them more value. So in turn, you deserve more value back uh, versus someone that does a shorter term. Now, let's talk about the flip side. If you do too long of a lease, let's say you're you're insisting on doing a 10 or 15 year, or I, I really say anything over 10 years. Anything over 10, you run the risk of outgrowing the space, or most businesses will see this. Um, they, they may have ebbs and flows in business and they may shrink and not need as much space over time because they're contracting in their business cycle. You will miss opportunities uh, to renegotiate for paint and carpet or tenant improvement when your time is up. If you're in a space for 10 years, right at about year five, you're going to start noticing 
you need some updates. You need the new flooring. You're going to need new carpet. You're going to have scuff marks on the walls. You're going to have issues where there's a lot of high traffic in your space. And you're going to want someone to come in there and make some improvements. If you don't negotiate this right and you did a deal, you know, eight, nine years ago, you're not going to have any more allowance for those improvements. So I always tell people that when you do the five to seven years, like that's like the sweet spot then you're in there just enough to where by the time you need some improvements, we can reset the board and say, listen, in order for me to re-up, here's some things that I need to get done. And in that five to seven year mark, that's also the magic number where most buildings are bought and sold. A lot of business owners don't realize that buildings switch hands on average every five years. So every time there's a new owner, that's a new opportunity to gain new ground. Okay, it's a new opportunity to pick up more flexibility, possibly more uh, concessions than we did on the last one. So it's, it's a good place to be. And that's the sweet spot. So to answer your question, as a recap, your lease needs to be as short as possible to get the maximum value from a deal. It should not be too short. I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't do anything less than five if you want a good deal. If you're doing three, it's it's because you're a little insecure and, and how your business is going to do. But um, I've heard some attorneys say differently, but I'm in this space all the time. I'm dealing with landlords and they're speaking from purely a liability standpoint. On my next podcast, I will plan on talking about what happens if you actually default, because that's what it's really about is liability versus actual value. I'm speaking from a standpoint of what term is going to give you the actual best deal as far as save you the most money give you give you the maximum amount of concessions possible, make your lease potentially as flexible as possible. So I hope this was helpful to you. If you want me to talk about any other topic, uh, just let me know. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys soon. Welcome to today's podcast. This is James Robertson with Workspace Real Estate. And today we're going to talk about damage in your space and who is responsible. So the question is, who's responsible for various types of damage that may occur in the course of doing business in your space? So first, I want to tell you very quickly that this is a huge area where negotiating your lease properly makes a big, big difference. So let's start with an example. My client just asked me, um, his name is John. He has a video studio and he's getting a loft office space in Midtown. And he said, what happens if somebody throws a rock into my space and breaks a window? Who's responsible? Well, in general, you can follow this principle when you're looking at a lease. Anything inside the four walls is usually the responsibility of the tenant. And anything outside of those four walls, we're talking about the exterior of the space, the roof underneath the ground. That's usually the responsibility of the landlord. Now, some very savvy attorneys have made changes in leases to where they have put it a very unfair. um, They've shifted the exposure unfairly and, in my opinion, unethically in many cases to the tenant on things like plumbing defects or things that the tenant has no control over. That's why you have to be really careful how things are worded. And it's very, very difficult to spot if you're not used to looking at leases or if you just glaze over when you see legalese. So that's why even as an attorney, even as a broker that looks at thousands of leases, I still have our attorney review to make sure we have a good set of eyes to see things and explain things that I may not understand as an expert in this business. So 
Let me give you a few of the scenarios. What if the what if a pipe burst inside the walls? Generally speaking, that's the responsibility of the landlord. And if you have your lease negotiated properly, we'll make sure that it is the responsibility of the landlord. If there's a gray area, that can be a problem because if the landlord doesn't want to fix it and you don't want to fix it. Now, all of a sudden, you got a busted pipe there. There's tons of damage, water damage everywhere. You're not comfortable in your space. And the landlord has a gun to your head with that lease because if the lease doesn't specify how things can work, they can always hold your feet to the fire by threatening you for being in default and accelerating your entire debt. And what's going to be your response? Right. See, you're in court. That's going to be very expensive. That's that's something we need to talk about later in a different podcast on default provisions. But instead of going there, let's prevent it before it happens by making sure the lease clearly specifies who is responsible for what before you sign a deal. Let me give you another scenario. And this is really, really common with retail or flex space. What happens if your AC goes out? That's a huge deal. So if your AC goes out, I'll tell you a good landlord, a good one, is going to look at who's really responsible if the tenant was told they were going to be responsible for it and they just had negligence on the AC unit. Then a a good landlord will say, hey, listen, Joe or Bob or Mary, you know, I understand the AC went out. I know that's a $5,000 fix to $8,000 fix. But your lease clearly states here that you're responsible for it. And it's not my fault. You didn't get a maintenance contract. That's one way to go. Now, what I do for my clients is we make sure that we put in provisions there that specify how the AC is supposed to perform, how long it's supposed to last. We make sure we review provisions in there that govern the state of the AC when we sign a deal. We do everything possible to prevent the mechanical failure of that AC unit. And in my 10 years of doing this, I've never had a client with our provisions where I've never had an instance where an AC unit has failed because we made sure that all the steps were taken ahead of time. Now, here's the last one. How does your provisions differ between office, industrial, and retail? How does it differ? Well, let me tell you this. In office, you have usually the broadest uh, The landlord has the broadest amount of responsibility. In an office building, there is very little that you're going to be responsible for um, that that can happen outside those four walls. In industrial, the landlord and tenant both share, I think, a pretty much equal responsibility on what damage, who's responsible if damage occurs. And retail, I think it's slightly more on the tenant side. They're going to hold you responsible for making sure the outside is swept, making sure that your signage and your anything on the outside is working up to par and not a detriment to the look and vibe of the space. So I hope this information was helpful to you. And so I hope this information was helpful to you. And I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much.